Hi, I'm Dina Solis, and this is FinOps Pod. Let me let me just say my name, and you say your name, and I can do the FinOps. That way, it would be better. Let's just do that okay. one more time. Okay. Yes. Hi, this is Stacey Case. And this is Joe Daly. And this is FinOps Pod. The best one yet! We nailed it. <laughs> so, Joe, what is FinOps Pod? Well, it's a podcast, and it's about the FinOps Foundation community. Because the most valuable asset of our foundation is the community members themselves. So we thought, hey, everyone wants a podcast. Podcasts are fun. Let's connect our community members to each other to share their wisdom. And for this first episode, we chose one of our wisest, Dina Solis. Ooh, I am such a big Dina fan. It's ridiculous. Yeah, she's been involved for a long time. What, what are some of the things she's done? Oh my gosh. You know, it's so funny. I think about Dina and I just know that she's, she's just one of the most vocal and respected people that are coming into the FinOps community, which I love. I think the first thing I can think about with Dina is maybe the first working group she worked on, which I believe was shared cost. And that was, gosh, that was back in 2021, so long ago. Uh, the great thing is I've talked to Dina since then. And I remember talking to her and she said that with that working group, she kind of had mixed feelings. Like she felt like maybe she didn't hit her, what she thought was successful or she felt maybe was not quite successful as, as she wanted it to be. And all I can think coming out of that is because of her and the other folks that sat on that working group and really was the first time we tried to have any sort of process around a working group is that we are now in such a better place because she was able, along with the other folks that contributed to provide so much feedback of what worked and what didn't work. We had great output from that working group, but also we have such stronger working groups now because of the contribution like like Dina and others had on, on that one. I was yeah. a tech liaison on, on that working group and her, Dina and Tracy Rosler did a her, Herculean effort to wrap that working group up. But yeah, you're right. We, we have learned so much on how to do working groups. Since. Absolutely. And think about it, Joe, if you're the tech liaison, I mean, that was just one more hurdle that they had to overcome to be successful was to work with you. <laughs> So many people, so many people <laughs> so many, have right? to get over that hurdle. I know. But you know, you know what else? I mean, I think of Dina too, is not only is she passionate about FinOps, but she's just passionate about making the world of people better, right? And she's probably one of our biggest advocates when it comes to providing space for people to speak and raise their hand and to get new practitioners involved in things. She's very active in women in FinOps, very active in the diversity, equity, and inclusion working groups. And I always think of Dina too, when, when we start talking about things, I'm like, oh, wait, what would Dina do here? How would she say <laughs> this? And, you know, even right. I got a sneak peek to what's coming up next. And I'm just, every day, I feel like I'm learning a little bit more from Dina not only from FinOps, but also, yeah, this is, this is a great way to be a good human. It, it is. And Noel Crowley and I interviewed her and there were times in the interview where she would answer and then there would be a long silence. And cause Noel and I forgot to ask another question. <laughs> we, we, we were listening to what she had to say and we were, there's so much good stuff and, and, and people are going to be able to hear it. 
she hits on the importance of community right off the bat, which is, you know, as director of community, like, and trying to bring the community close together. We didn't prompt her to talk about that. She just did. Mm -hmm. And it, it made me feel good. There's also a great moment because Dina and I have very much opposite styles. Right, right. You can, you can attest, I'm loud. I, As am I. Yeah. And I try to use my loud for, for good and not evil. Um, but Dina, she, she describes herself as, as invisible, which is not really true. She's, she's a quiet introvert. And we talk about how if you create space for more than one style of voice or more than one style of work, you really make more opportunities for folks to make more impacts and to be more successful instead of just that one way. So, so many true. good moments. It's a masterclass on how to build trust and how to get through resistance that all FinOps practitioners face, no matter how many years you're doing, you, you still will always have to work with the rest of your organization. And there's going to be resistance sometimes. Dina talks a lot about how to get through that uh, and how to approach that. So much good stuff. Let's get to it. Can't wait. Let me ask you a question about what you said a few minutes ago, right? You said an English major. So I'm assuming that's what you did at college. How does an English major end up, well, at this stage of your career, end up as a FinOps engineer? That's got to be an interesting journey. Gosh, how does an English major, poli-sci, liberal studies, electrical engineer? Okay. Let's dig into all of them. My first undergrad experience was at Cal Poly Pomona. I had always enjoyed gadgets and electric things. And I thought electrical engineering was the closest thing in the late eighties to the things that I was interested in that held enough status that would uh, please my parents. And I was pretty good at math. I was pretty good at science and I felt like it was just the path that was laid out for me. Well, my first quarter in the major was a little bit heartbreaking for me. I experienced anxiety and would look across the sea of, of students in the auditorium with 150, you know, going from a high school classroom to, to these big auditoriums and looking for another woman, another young girl. And I'd find one or two or three, and they all kind of looked like me because I, for your listeners, I'm Asian, but we were not alike in any way. Actually, the one way we were alike probably was that we were all sort of introverted and, and not super social. So I never quite found a, a support structure in that. So I spent the rest of the year sort of going through the motions and then being, I think, probably halfway into the year, just deciding that I would not continue in that technical major. It just, I didn't feel like I could succeed. I was really, really afraid of failing out. It was it, you didn't feel there wasn't connection. What was it the subject matter or was it the connection with the community that you were learning with? Oh, you know what? That's a good question. It wasn't that the community, it's not like I had ever felt really connected to my communities in high school or anywhere, but I realized that I was very, very isolated. And I didn't have anyone who I could ask for support or advice on why I was struggling with the content. And the, one of the reasons I was struggling with content 
I found out later that I just was not good at learning in auditoriums. I found out later that I do much better in lectures than I do with reading. That's why I'm a podcast listener. But it's sort of like going from high school sports to college. You find out you're no longer the best on the field. And it, it's a real ego hit. It, it was a real ego hit. I felt like everyone else in the class was not struggling, or I assumed that they were not struggling. And I never felt comfortable looking around and saying, are you struggling? Do you have a study group? And then here I found out, oh, this is why people join fraternities. This is why people lean on their social groups and, and do have support, study groups, tutoring. If you have people around you who've been through the major before, they can help you know what to expect to help you prepare. I tragically picked my curriculum myself. I, I didn't realize that I had sort of front-loaded some really hard classes. And I, I found all of this out in retrospect. I found all of this out probably when I was in grad school. You, or you yeah. learned what happened the hard way. Very much. And, and I do like to write and I do like to think about systems. And one of the other places that I found that was in sociology and political science. And I just spent so much time undeclared that when it was time to graduate, I had the most credits that would allow me to pick the shortest path to graduation with an English major. That's the, that's the dirty truth. I'm not an expert in literature or I, I, I didn't have a dream of becoming a journalist, although I have a lot of respect for people in those fields. You said something there about doing social science. Yeah. I think that's an interesting field in itself, right? Can I ask you then, is there anything you might take from that whole field of study and kind of go, could you bring that in and, and help to make FinOps a better place from what you've, you've got in that area? I mean, you, you made the comment there that when you went to college, your first year, you looked around, people didn't look like you. My first takeaway there was they didn't look like you because... It was an engineering class and you were a girl. And even on top of that, you're Asian and that's cool. And now you come to FinOps and there's a lot of us have got beards. There's a lot of beards in FinOps. You heard that. Yes, there are. I used to have a big hairy beard <laughs> up to a couple of months ago. <laughs> I think we can do it to bring more people in, more uh, diversity in the sense that more people, more different people, more ideas, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, FinOps I, First of all, I, I can tell you and I are going to be friends. That was a really good question because it's something that I, I think about. Okay. I think the question that you asked me was how does social science, that sort of thinking, how do I bring that to FinOps? And I do, I absolutely do, because in, in a sense, they're the same. The strengths that you get from studying from the schools of thought in social sciences and political science, it's all about people. People, it turns out, are what make any kind of organization rise or fall. And if you're not thinking about people when you create governance, if you're not thinking about people when you write policies, and, and if you're not thinking about people in their natural state, what are you doing that is fighting human nature? And what sort of social currents, what culture... Are you swimming against when you are trying to drive a FinOps culture? So yeah, it is absolutely essential. And what I think is very, very sad is that 
Had I stepped on the path for electrical engineering and immediately connected to the content and not had the challenges that I did, I wouldn't have thought about those things. And I would have thought much more about what makes a good algorithm and what makes a theory more true, but without consideration or without prioritizing people. And so I think both of those things are very, very important, especially at the level that we're dealing with, because we are writing policies, we are creating governance. And these structures, you can work on making them look very, very pretty, because we're all very good at at performance and, and creating facades. But it's like the performance of IT doesn't make a system successful. It's the people who either do or do not make it successful. I really love that because there are a lot of voices in the industry. Some say FinOps is a function of engineer development and the engineers just need to care about this. And then there are other folks saying, well, it's a finance function and it's part of an accounting and finance. And they, they kind of departmentalize what uh, friction is in this space. When in reality, it's all of the above. It's FinOps isn't necessarily a, a system or a process as so much as a way of doing things, a culture, like you're saying. And I've started two FinOps teams before, and the resistance wasn't from accounting or from engineering. The resistance was from whoever I was trying to <laughs> get to change their process or <sighs> update their process. So, and it really didn't matter what department they were in. If I wasn't trying to get you to change, you absolutely, you love FinOps. You thought FinOps was great because it didn't impact you. But when it impacts you, that's the part where you need to come with empathy and oh. understand where the people are standing. So it doesn't come up like you're just coming over and, and kicking the cheese off their plate. 100%. 100%. When you're thinking about people, the other thing that we can make the mistake of doing is, uh, Seeing the resistance as coming from an individual, we talk about personas a lot in FinOps, and it is really important to recognize what that persona is and to um, make sure that we're adjusting our, our pitch, adjusting our level of collaboration based on that particular persona or person. But it's also important to recognize that that person is also a defender of their culture. They're a defender of the finance culture. They're a defender of the data center culture. The data center culture is so rigid. And you try to just bring someone in and plop them down into an agile DevOps team. No, you know, prepare them, give them a, yeah. give them a little extra equipment or her to help them succeed and make sure that they know that despite not being native to that culture, they have a lot to offer. Let me ask you a question. And it's, it's a little bit about the fender of the culture, actually. Do you find that when you go talking to new developers, new engineers, and I mean people who are year one, year two, and your graduate intake program, and they're out in the field and they're starting to write their code and you happen to get lucky and have an accidental collision with them. Then you start talking about FinOps and they're like, they're in, they're on board because you're telling them, I want you to break your application and go serverless or something like that. Right. Versus 20 year engineer who is 
brilliant at what they do. They don't want to change the way. And sometimes you create a clash between these two people. Have you come across anything like that or worked around anything like that? Or in a sense, like new people, they want to do new things versus people who are, I'm good at what I do. I know exactly how to do it. <laughs> that clash is not new with FinOps, of course. It, it, it's absolutely not. And if you've been in technology or if you've been in the world where technology enters at, at any point, whatever level of technology it is, those things are not new. I, I saw it first in the world of outsourcing. I was getting my MBA in 2008 while I was working for the outsourcing company, which had just bought the original outsourcing company that the hospital had outsourced to. And so as I was learning about these organizational theories and theories of change, my employer was my case study and it was, it was fantastic. And I was noticing how resistant people were to change and what those threats represented. Everybody wants to justify their existence. And I'll tell you about that new dev and that new, new engineer, um, fresh out of college or, or just still interning. Maybe they are. They are looking for culture. They are hungry for it. They are, tell me what my culture is so that I can show you how good I am. And, and of course, it's great to work with them. Of course, you have something to give them, which will give them strengths to build their career upon or pad their resume, whichever. Whereas the person who has built their career, who did not see the change coming, of course, they're going to be threatened by it. Of course, of course, of course. And it, it doesn't have to do with anything that's different from human nature. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of shame and pride for what do I get to be proud of if you take away all of the things that I was the best at that no one else was good at. Uh, you threaten their egos without giving them a thing <laughs> that they're going to be able to replace it with. Hey, we are going to disrupt your whole theory of server room and we're going to introduce these remote data centers and now you are part of a team where you were previously the solo network admin and now you have to learn how to collaborate instead of command and so those were definitely things that that a lot of people weren't prepared for and also when you foster a culture of learning when you have an open mindset culture in your organization in your entire business and you and your leaders demonstrate, they walk in the knowledge that every step they can learn something. There's something that they don't know. And so there's no shame in not being the expert all the time. There's a lot more pride in being able to build a, a team of experts and with that building trust. Now, if I am encountering the, the engineer, the the operations manager who is resistant, I let them know I've been there and there's good reason to be resistant. And here's some things we can look out for. And let's make sure that your people are looked out for first. And second, let's make sure that these processes make sense to you. Because when you talk about FinOps to them, and when you talk about processes that are automated so that you're not distracted by the repetition and instead you're able to see the forest, you can make better decisions and you can be a better leader. And when you have that ability to, to show it 
and to, to sort of commiserate a little bit, you end up building trust. And FinOps doesn't work without trust. DevOps doesn't work without trust. Technology doesn't work without trust. You're so right. You're, you're making me think back to like my backgrounds in finance and accounting. And then somehow I became manager of a VMware team and servers. And when I was in finance, everyone would get so mad at the server team because they would never respond to any of the emails asking what these charges were for. And they'd be like, it's like, they don't care. They don't even care. And once I, you know, lived in, in that world, I realized that these server engineers voluntarily have taken careers that force them to do work in the middle of the night. And like, yeah, they don't have time to answer where's the purchase order for this thing that they barely know what you're talking about because yeah, they got called at 4am or they weren't even able to do the work until after midnight. And you know, and this is what they voluntarily do. And by the way, they still show up for the next day to work their desk job. And it's, you know, just that understanding of where people are coming from just helps build that, that communication channel so that ideas can start coming back and forth. And, yeah. and it turns out that, that those are people who they care about something more than themselves. And so if, if you realize whether you're in the finance or engineering side, that the thing that you are proposing, the thing that you are promoting has to do with the entire organization working better, then, you know, again, oh, that's why I can trust you. There are some processes you're not going to be able to change. Same with me. And there's a little bit of give and take, a little bit of collaboration. That's why I'm, I'm really hesitant to show any part of a framework that is too prescriptive. Because if, I'm not, I'm not saying that every FinOps agreement, between, like service level agreement, if, if you want to use that language, should be bespoke. But it should absolutely echo or support the overall company culture or industry norms such that the individuals who are responsible for saying, hey, this is a FinOps culture, aren't constantly, constantly swimming upstream because they're not given the ability to do what they're best at, which is, you know, probably being extra sensitive to, to context changes that you can only see when you look at billing data. I, I just want to give anyone who's listening to this moments to hit the back 15 seconds buttons to just re-listen to everything you just said, because that is, that is, that's such gold trust building, culture building advice. So didn't let talk to you while you were talking because that was, <laughs> that's great so stuff. Good. Thank you. So good. So what's, what's really funny, Dina, is I was talking to you before this and I asked you what your, your superpower outside of FinOps was, and you said it's your ability to make yourself invisible, which, which is really funny. You're an introvert, like you, you said, but you are quite honestly, and I I'll, I'll build you up here. You're a force in the FinOps foundation community. You've done so much as part of the community and have made such an impact. So I, it's really quite something to see, well, I can be quiet and I can, I'm not be seen. However, it makes such giant impacts as part of our community. How, how do you do that? Because I'm just loud and, and you take the complete opposite approach and are even more effective than, than just being loud. 
This, this really is why diversity is so important. And I, I talk about ethnic diversity, gender diversity, cultural ability, diversity of abilities. I, I show up as a daughter of Filipino immigrants. I am the youngest daughter of Filipino immigrants, which means that I had a lot of, of identity imposed on me. What each part of those things should be, what a daughter should be as, as opposed to a son, what the youngest should be as opposed to the oldest, what a Filipino should be or a brown person should be or an Asian person should be among other people in the city where my, my parents chose to settle in Southern California. And it turns out that women of color tend to not try to make themselves invisible, but tend to be invisible, be ignored, be dismissed is actually the, the probably most hurtful one. But I thought those things are just true because of that intersectionality. And those things are just true because of the way that systems are set up without us in mind. If I could grow blonde hair and a beard, I, it might change the way that my path would have been then. But you also hit it. I'm an introvert. And so being invisible was not a bad thing for me, not a bad thing at all. And I didn't it probably find it out until, I don't know, my 40s, how much of an impact being an introvert had on how much I picked up as, as I could observe and listen um, quietly without being asked to produce feedback. Because... <laughs> I used to say jokingly, who cares what I think? But actually, I, I would say that acknowledging that I, I knew you probably didn't know I was in the room. So I'm just going to say this thing. And it would typically be at the end of the meeting or after a meeting or at happy hour later. And I would have all of these opinions that seemed to be helpful, but I couldn't seem to contribute at the time in the room, whether it was just because of social anxiety or because I didn't trust my own voice or because I was really, again, I'm, I'm not just an introvert. I, I don't know if you do the Myers-Briggs thing, but INTJ, there's only like a, a single digit percentage of us. It's tiny. And we're sometimes overthinkers, sometimes, you know, d described in different ways, but I, I, I was busy thinking about it. And so being invisible really helped me to think more deeply. And it brings me back to why diversity is so important. If you have a team of extroverts, you're not going to win the empathy game. You're just not. And, and by the way, if you have a team of a single extrovert who is just incredibly dominating and rewarded for being such a, a professional extrovert, it turns out that everyone else in that team will try to fit into that norm. Now, for me, when I start speaking to a group that I don't know, I hear my voice shake. I don't know if you hear it, but I hear my voice shake. If I'm typing in a chat room in a Slack channel that I've never typed in before, my hands shake. I get really? it. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, I just wow. noticed it. I mean, I, I noticed it and I, I noticed recently that it still happens, even though I'm a very practiced, I practice extroversion. I, I practice appearing as though I know how to speak or do a little bit more than listen. And 
it's only because I've been doing this kind of work so long that I don't have to think about it. If you ask me a question, for example, on, you know, my, my education path, I, I don't have to think about it. Those are things that are, are, are etched and I just have to sort of dust them off. But so often what we're doing in a room full of engineering managers is, Joe, quickly, what's happening with Lambda? Noel, what the heck is Ingress doing now? And, and there's so much pressure to have an answer and not to say, that's a great question. I haven't seen any patterns. Give me some time to look at it. Even if it's 10 minutes, there is so much pressure not even to ask. It'll take me 10 minutes to look at my billing data, to look at my telemetry, to look at whatever observability I have in place, or look at the fact that I don't have enough in place. And I have to start measuring those things. And what does that pressure do? It produces wild guesses that are wrong. Yes. Humans are under pressure to make quick responses. If I, I know that if I'm under pressure to make a quick response, I'll just break down and cry. But, and it's one of the reasons that, that FinOps was such a good fit or that infrastructure management in general was such a good fit was, oh yeah, actually, if I get paged after midnight to work on this, no one knows that I answered my pager and started looking at logs. And when I came into the 8 a.m. meeting, the reason that I sounded like an expert was because I had been pouring over it for eight hours. But that's, that's how I was able to build trust with my remote teams and my local teams was I was willing to do that extra work, but it didn't occur to me to think, no, that wasn't extra work. That's the amount of work that it takes to produce reliable, trustworthy opinions and recommendations. And if I had woken up, if I had looked at that pager, gone back to sleep, woken up at seven and taken a quick look at whatever the last log was and been pressured to have an answer, I would have tried to justify my existence with some, some pretty jargon, right? And how often does that happen? I, I mean, everybody yeah. knows that guy. Right. We've all been there. We've all but, been in the meeting with that person, right? Right. But, and we've all been in the people with, in the meetings with the people who are sleep de deprived, but I, there's a reason that we, we give them a little more slack and, and that we will, would rather pick them on our dream team. But there's just a certain signal that we get that that person has done the work and about being invisible. When you are able to, to observe quietly without people observing you, you're able to see, oh, that person is hiding the fact that they work a lot harder than they want you to think they work. And um, going back to the en electrical engineering, because I knew people who got into that major and graduated in that major and, and made really good lives afterwards, you know, at, at college reunions and things like that, you realize, oh, oh, you were... I, I don't even think Red Bull was a thing then, but you were over-caffeinating in order to keep up with lectures and not telling anyone. You know, everybody has a coping mechanism. And why do we hide that? Why don't we actually, if we're going to say people before processes, take, in, take into account that people need rest, that people need teams. So having a team of one FinOps person is not ideal, you know, that they're going to need support. 
don't don't set people up for failure. And and that's I think that when you have someone who has lived an invisible life, you know, over time, you have someone who's picked up a whole bunch of of covert knowledge. Yeah, I'm going to ask you my favorite question, and it's the segment we are calling "Not Savings Plans for RDS." If you had the power to make one FinOps-related change in the cloud service providers, what would it be? And it can be anything, but it has to be a FinOps change or a related change. And it can't be savings plans for RDS. Oh my gosh. You know, the sad thing is I've had time to think about that question. And I really, I, I don't have a good one because because as you know by now from talking to me, I don't think that there's any like magic bullet, magic FinOps bullet in, in terms of a capability. I mean, I feel like the, the biggest FinOps change would be to, to gather all your TAMs and your solution architects and make them FinOps people. Because so often, like, there's so much trust that goes to the the person who was the enterprise architect and who was the 30-year career engineer, there's so much trust that goes to that person or, or even worse, to the 30-year career salesperson and not enough taking whoever that is, whether they're a salesperson or a technical lead and saying, okay, it's your responsibility now. You are representing our platform. You better bone up on your FinOps and you better represent how important a pillar that is to to the health of the organization because at the end of the day this is a transaction you're buying a product to make your to to make a profit or to improve your your reach or to whatever that that business goal is and if you haven't tied it to the understanding of how how there's an entire economy microeconomy that is going to be impacted then you haven't done the work to hold your position. And, and that's what I see the most. I should be able to ask my customer facing cloud provider a question about that same kind of, maybe it's an optimization dashboard, maybe it's a KPI dashboard or, or something like that, that's being developed, you know, in your, in your provider ecosystem. I should be able to say that and they should be able to know, oh yeah, well, you're the FinOps person. I know exactly who you need to talk to. Not everybody needs every kind of, of uh, managed service database, but everybody needs FinOps. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're investing in cloud, you need FinOps. I, I really like that answer. I think it's fantastic in the sense that it's, it's actually quite a simple solution. If every one of them was doing that, It'd be fantastic because then we'd all have the right solutions at the start. It would make our jobs easier. Yeah. I, I mean, that it resonated with me because I, how many times does a new, a new TAM show up on the account and then reach out and be like, well, you know, you can really save a lot of money by uh, doing a reserved instance. And then I do my best Willy Wonka meme saying, tell me more about your three-year reserved instance as just until they realize like, I want to know how to reduce consumption. Tell me how I can reduce my consumption, not, not more discounting schemes, which I already understand that that is, that would be that that's great. Yeah. FinOps training account teams. 
great answer. Aldina, thank you so much. Great conversation. I, I, well, do you know something? I learned an awful amount. It was, but I really enjoyed it. It's been a very good, a very informative conversation to me. I appreciate that. It was great meeting with you both. And I, I enjoy this, this community so much. I, like I said, I, I got so much out of it that, you know, I recognize the value helping it grow and helping people like me, introverts and other invisibility sort of step out and, and have a little, have just a small platform where you can show your superpowers. That's it. You did it. You made it to the end. I am so proud of you for completing this podcast. Thank you so much, Dina Solis. Fantastic interview with her. So many good knowledge and learnings to take from here. Come back to this episode. When you get that resistance and you are trying to build that trust, come back to that this episode to learn from her. Thank you to Noel Crowley, my co-interviewer, and Stacey Case for helping me kick this podcast off. Be sure to check us out, finops.org, and check out all the cool links in the show notes attached to this podcast that you can listen to everywhere that you love listening to podcasts. Thank you all. See you next time on FinOpsPod.